This episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films is brought to you by Tops. Now you too can voyage across the Star Wars galaxy with Tops in their all-new trading card collection, Tops: Journey to Star Wars The Last Jedi. Take a journey across the Star Wars saga with a sneak peek at Star Wars The Last Jedi by visiting Tops.com to pick up your trading cards today. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the force. That's right, welcome to episode 225 of Star Wars Beyond the Films. Your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast of legends, as well as canon, your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division of Podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes as well as Stitcher and right on our own Twitter and Facebook pages at SWBeyondFilms. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, the bipolar Star Wars fan, Mark Herleman. And with me, like one's imperial sister hanging on your sixth, about to blast you out of the sky, the EU guru himself, the count of our two continuities, Mr. Nathan P. Butler! Hey, everybody. I don't think I ever angered my sister that much that she'd want to shoot me from behind, but it's certainly possible. I definitely did. I shot my sister in the, in the eyeball with an arrow once. Ah! And the BB gun. Ah! The, the BB gun was weird because I was literally pointing it in the opposite direction. We heard the ricochet bounce off of three trees and hit her in the face. I had to tell my dad that, and he never believed that. But my sister actually admitted, yeah, his back was turned to me when he shot. The other one, luckily, the arrow had no arrowhead in it when I did it. And I was literally just pretending like I was going to do it. I wasn't expecting to do it. But yeah, I was in the hot seat. Good lord, man! I think we should just we should just dive into the episode because otherwise we're going to hear some other things that might have you know might might create a pattern of violence. Uh. <laughs> Here at Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Like, how many times did that BB really ricochet before it hit his sister? Questions that have bothered you a long time or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on? You ponder about Star Wars and so do we. This episode, we continue to explore John Ostrander's final legacy installment, Legacy War. Consider that your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentients of all ages, because here we go on another adventure beyond the films. Discovering that Imperial Knight Antares Draco had, under torture, revealed to the Sith the location of the hidden Jedi Temple on Tavius, Cade Skywalker, his crew, and spy Morgana Kord speed to the temple with warnings. While Sith Emperor Darth Krait prepares his forces for the assault, the Jedi Council plan their strategy. Let the Empire come and allow the natural fortress of the temple's location to protect them while support fleets from the Galactic Alliance and Roan Fell attack from the rear. Now, the Battle of the Temple has begun, and the Empire is stuck between the Jedi Defenders and the ships of the Allies. But Darth Krait still has one card left to play. 
Yes, we're picking up with issue number four. So this is issues four, five, and six. In our last episode, we covered one, two, and three. That's also why this episode doesn't have a spoiler-free segment. If you want to check out that, check out the beginning of our previous episode. If you were wondering about the covers coverage that was missing last episode, it actually comes in at the end of this episode. So we pick up with issue four. Again, this is a story by John Ostrander and Jen Dersima with the script itself by John Ostrander and Jen Dersima doing the pencils. We start with the battle over Tybus, and Garstasi is there. Uh, Trey Sind is there, leading the forces for Rowan Fell's Imperial side, and they're slamming into the forces of the Sith Empire. But remember, the one Sith has been holding in reserve all these new Sith warriors and Sith starfighters and such, these annihilators that Darth Crate developed in secret, and not even the rest of the Sith Imperials realize that they are basically there just as cannon fodder and bait to draw in the Alliance Remnant and so forth, when the Jedi think they're the bait to draw in the Sith Imperials. So lots of bait uh, all around here. So we see a Joker Squad taking part of the battle on the ground with Hard Case down. We see Aslan Ray and Ganner Krieg fighting against some Sith. We see Antares Draco not in Imperial Remnant or Imperial Knight armor because he doesn't have it yet fighting alongside Mara CFL against the Sith. We see Wolf Sazen fighting alongside Shado Bao. We see Cade Skywalker fighting against Sith as well. Uh, come on and die. Just battle after battle after battle as we move through the first few pages, and it's almost like a montage jumping to different parts of it. We see uh, Trasa, the Jedi, who has sort of uh, uh, put herself into the ground, essentially. She is now uh, one with the planet, but also is using Jedi battle meditation, something that really hasn't been addressed in the new canon, but was a fundamental part of Jedi battle strategy within the Legends continuity. And at that moment, in comes the rest of the Sith forces, that Crate had held in reserve. So now, it's the good guys who have fallen into the trap. But these Sith warriors, they're just blasting everything. They don't care if they catch the non-one-Sith Sith Imperial forces in the line of fire. So some of them are even dying uh, under their own people's guns and must fall back to save their lives if they can. And into the ground battle come those Sith warriors as well. It looks like Moff Geist is killed in the process on the ground um, as the Sith warriors come into the fray. We see the Minoc battling alongside Rogue Squadron against uh, Skull Squadron and other Sith Imperials. And we find that, yes, Gunnar Yeg is still in the fight at this point, following the orders of Darth Router, but she sees the odds are against them and says, you know, five against three of us? If you like those odds, you stay and fight Router, and she disobeys orders and starts flying away. She hasn't yet jumped sides or anything like that, but she does disobey orders, which begins this insubordination theme for her that's going to carry on uh, with the rest of her character development in this series. We jump back inside the council chamber of the Hidden Temple, where all of our defenders have kind of fallen back to the same place, fighting along the way to protect, among others, younglings that are now in hiding. And... They finally start up the next phase of their plan in defense, which is to launch the different Hidden Temple ships. Because remember, the Hidden Temple actually wasn't a temple per se. It was all these ships that were parked nose up inside the waters on Tyvus, uh, just sticking out like they were buildings or skyscrapers. So now they're flying off into space, which is actually kind of mirroring what I think of when I think of the city ships that launch into space uh, to join the rebellion in canon, like the Profundity with Adm Admiral Raddus, a similar concept here. Once we see the ship zooming off, there's one ship that is full of younglings, and Router orders it destroyed, 
And when the moment of truth comes, Gunner, instead of destroying that ship, destroys Router's ship. And she sends out a call to the other Imperials on the Sith side, specifically to Rolf Yeag, who of course is part of the leadership at this point. It says, uh, I've just killed Darth Router. You raised me to act with honor, but there is no honor in following the Sith. We should never have abandoned the true Emperor. I go to serve with him now uh, with all who will follow. Forgive me, Father. I see no other way. At which point, Yeag himself pulls his pistol, shoots the Sith that is actually commanding his vessel, that's technically under his command, but the Sith is giving the orders, kills him, and then he sends out a transmission. Uh, this is Mulf Renolf Yeag. Keep saying Rolf, it's Ranolf. Uh, Mulf Renolf Yeag, formerly of the Sith Imperial Navy. My daughter is right, the Sith have no honor. I'm joining her defection to his Imperial Majesty, Rowan Fell of Bastion, if he will have me. Other captains of the Sith Empire who wish to join me should signify so immediately or be blown out of the sky as hostile vessels. So we see finally the Sith Imperials who had been more and more finding themselves under the pressure of the Sith taking more and more control from those who are non-Sith. And finally we see some of them jumping ship. And as the battle continues, when we're down to basically Cade and Nat surrounded by a bunch of Sith warriors, it looks like one of the Sith Annihilator starfighters is about to crash down into where Cade and Nat are fighting to protect Trasa who is down there and cannot move because she's linked herself into the planet. And as the ship is about to come down, Cade says, So it ends here. Doesn't matter, gotta die sometime. To which Nat replies, Not you, boy. At least not today. And of course, I have to hear that in Sam Elliott's voice. And he force pushes Cade to safety. The ship comes down. And both Trasa and Nat Skywalker are killed. Nat's final words, that's Bantha Rock, of course. Love you, Drew, always and forever. We see the explosion, and what's interesting is that basically uh, the energy of that explosion is harnessed by Nat and by Trasa into basically being a big blast of energy. It's not just an explosion that goes in all directions. It's harnessed and fires upward, almost like a Death Star type of beam, and slashes through a bunch of the Sith Imperial vessels in orbit, uh, helping the fight up above. Uh, Cade has survived. He manages to come out of the water, manages to jump back aboard the Minoc, uh, which has arrived to save him. But Sith warriors are following him onto the Minoc. Thankfully, he and Morrigan Cord, his mother, are able to finally take down the Sith warrior that comes after him. But instead of killing him, even though he gave Cade a scar and Cade wants to kill him and starts blasting him with force lightning, Morrigan convinces him that no, they need one of these alive in order to be studied or in order to be questioned. And such, right? We need at least one alive to see what makes it tick. And they get the heck out of there. We get a nice monologue from Cade saying, We lost so much today. Not just the battle. Not just the ships. Jedi embrace life and accept death. But why does the Force make us feel lost so keenly? Why does losing him, Nat, feel like a wound that will never heal? And as things wrap up, things are looking grim. Tybus has had to be abandoned, even though, you know, they didn't all get wiped out. So in essence, it's kind of a win. But things have got to the point where Rowan Fell is willing to do the unthinkable. And our last scene of issue four is Rowan Fell and Hogram Chuck going to Darth Malady, who again is captive of Rowan Fell's empire at this point, and is willing to take the deal that she will make the Omega Red toxin that is a refinement of the Alpha Red toxin. And in return, in theory, if it works, he will provide her with the death of Cade Skywalker. Bum, bum. Boom! As the issue ends and the tagline for the next issue is, things get worse. Kind of tough to see how. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, it, it seems like this is a quick issue and you're done. But for me, I think the real delivery, aside from watching the fight play out, 
is the dialogue. You know, I said in the last issue or the last episode how much the dialogue really jumped out to me while I was rereading this. And, you know, these panels are all great. I mean, like you said, you got Draco, the Jedi fight well. And you got the Empress. They fight for their home, for their survival, Master Draco. Would we not do the same? Then when we get to Wolf, Wolf's like, Shadow, I lost track of Cade. Shadow's like, sense where the dark is, Master. <laughs> that is so perfect, because at this moment, this is where Cade is jumping around, and he's taking on three Sith, four Sith at a time. This is an awesome, you Slimos. No sneaking us in the middle of the night. We knew you were coming. Not so easy this time, is it? This is it? This is the best you can do? Come on and get me. Come on and die. Like, I just like, at this moment, like he's bordering just complete battle rage. Like, but it's so perfect, and yet you can also see uh, Master Trasa's like roots. Like they're all intertangled throughout. Now, I want to say during the Republic comic, she was rooted on a planet before, unless I'm mistaken. Like, because like it almost makes it seem like she's not going to be able to move again because she's rooted. But then I was thinking about that and I'm like, well, maybe they just mean like in this moment, she's not going anywhere because she's so deeply rooted. And I, I, I was right there with you when they did the battle meditation. I was like, Oh my God. Cause like this harkens back to Bastille Sean. And then of course it was utilized again later with Jason solo in the new Jedi order. So to see that kind of come back around, I'm like, Oh, it's exciting. You also get that sense that nil is almost as trusted as Darth Talon because when the hologram of crate comes to nil, he's like, it is time, Darth Nil, unleash the Sith troopers. And, and it's nil that, that launches the plan. You know, he's the one that says all units attack. And he's also the one later that has the idea of where the rendezvous point is. So it's like nil has got more going on than we're aware of at this point. He is definitely on the end with a lot of what crates got planned, although it's not openly stated, which I think is kind of interesting in and of itself. Let's see. There was also the fact that Crux, the one that's taking the the shipload full of younglings, like that harkens back to his time in dark times with uh, with him taking all the the leftovers that were there. Yeah, I mean this this goes back to when Dastinir was trying to run across Crux and all them. Like I don't know the the ring theory. I guess you could say of this was really cool the way it kept coming back around for a lot of those things and stuff. And again, when we see the Sith troopers show up, the way that their helmet armor looks, like I kept wondering if there was going to be a Mandalorian connection. Even at this point, I was still holding out hopes. And again, there was all those great lines when Bantha, you know, you mentioned Bantha saying, you know, I'm going to save him. But when Cade comes up out of the water, he's screaming, Bantha! You know, and you had mentioned some of it, but you you dropped the part where he continues on when he's talking to Baloo and he gets really quiet. Like, you know, it's again, those emotional moments. And he says, no one dies for me. What a joke, huh, Blue? Oh, Bantha. And, you know, again, like, there's there's not much to it, but it's those moments. Like, you you know, just the fact that he's like, no one dies for me. That was big for him. That was a major moment. And Bantha survives in the Force, but yet he's dead to Cade. And it's one of the other Jedi that, that tells him, you know, he, he would have done this no matter what. He didn't die for you. He did this for the Jedi. He did this for the Force. He did this for the galaxy. And it's really cool because, like, Cade doesn't focus on it too long. Like, it definitely impacts him. But he rolls out of it, unlike other times where other times he kind of went off on these murdering tyrants and, and went into these deep, dark places and was going out and lashing out constantly. This time he becomes more calculated and cold. And I, I like that. You also have the moment, too, where one of the Sith troopers says death to all spawn of Skywalker, which, again, gets you that feeling, you know, that the name Skywalker means something. You know, there's there's some gravitas to it. 
Death to all spawn! Man, they must really hate Todd McFarlane, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> no, I think this is another good one, but of course, um, there's a cu- the two things that stand out to me, there's, well, excuse me, three, I always say that, two or three. Two things that stand out. One, I do agree that whole no one dies for me, and the fact that he's sort of, his own sort of tagline comes back to haunt him, because it's always been, you know, we take what is given, and no one dies for me never again. And the fact that something that he's been holding on to is sort of partially defining himself has now wound up being something he could not fulfill, that yet another person has died for him, or at least the way that he's looking at it at the time, that's, that's, that's huge. But again, I think that it's all part of, you know, they're breaking down Cade to the point where all these different events are going to lead him to having to make a choice, Jedi or Sith. Um, when he finally comes up against Crate, uh, even the dreams, to a degree, are pushing him in that direction of having to realize that he could very easily become a Sith pawn, uh, as opposed to Sith spawn. Uh, I do think, though, that Nat dying, once we got the scene in which he says, you know, I'm reactivating my commission and says goodbye to his wife, saying that he's in it for the long haul, I think it was pretty much a guarantee that he was going to die. That was one of the telegraphed deaths, I think, within this. Uh, one of the few that I could predict, because you never quite know who else is going to die when you're in the end of a series where you don't know the fates of the characters from some story that happens later yet. But the fact that he does sacrifice himself, not just for Cade, but also to protect Trasa, I think that was important. Or that at least he died protecting her. I mean, she's going to die as well, you know, when the explosion happens. I just kind of wish that it had been written slightly differently, because the, the phrase they've used... A few times, actually, I think, for Nat and Drew, or for Bantha and Drew, is, you know, love you, always and forever. And the problem is that, for me, when I listen to, or when I read these comics, I'm hearing it in my head, right? It's actually something that drives my wife nuts, because if I'm focused on reading something and she says something to me, I can't hear her. Because in my head, I'm perceiving audio of what I'm reading, and it's as if that is drowning out what she's trying to say. She hates it. But here it works against me, because it's... Love you, Drew, always and forever. And I can't help but think, I love you, always, forever, near and far, <laughs> closer, together. And I'm like, oh, it, it takes a lot of the gravity out of the moment because I start hearing that crap in my head. Um, so I kind of wish they'd chosen a different phrase to use for Drew and Nat. But otherwise, I, mean, I think it's a, it, to a degree, I mean, it's sort of that sacrifice that we've seen coming for a while, coming to fruition. But a lot of what we're seeing in war is the stuff that is things that we expected before, like Nina Calixta and Morlish Veed finally coming to a head and that sort of thing. Ganner having to make a choice about her half-brother and so forth. All these different things that are coming to a head are things that we've seen coming or we expected that thankfully is actually getting to play out in the comic rather than being something where the comic was, say, cut early and we don't get to see it through to fruition. Well, and also the really cool thing is while this is going down with Nat, you get him thinking of the Jedi Code. You know, as he's shoving Cade through the thing... There is no emotion, there is peace. As he's deflecting blaster bolts that are coming for Ta, there is no ignorance, there is knowledge. She's looking up, there is no passion, there is serenity. That's when he says, love you, Drew, always and forever. There is no chaos, there is harmony. As the Sith dragon ship comes down and busts through the shield, there is no death, there is the force. Death strikes, and you see Cade launching, energy is released. But in that moment, two minds focus that energy, sending it skyward. Now, what I liked about this was we've seen this technique used before 
and I believe it was in I Jedi where it was Koran's grandfather, the Halcyon Jedi, who, when his heart was being stabbed with a Sith lightsaber, took the energy and transferred it into one blast, and he was able to take and, and utilize the blast in a different way. He used it to fuel telekinesis. Koran, when he was on the planet he was at with the pirates and stuff, he did a similar thing where he blasted the energy upward in a way as well. So I thought that was a really cool moment, the fact that we got to see another one of those touchstones. Which, of course, brings us to issue number five. It is now three days after the fall of the Hidden Temple. Uh, we see Rowanfell, Trayson, Garstasi, and so forth, Chunk all in the room as they're basically kind of like dissecting to a degree. They're studying uh, the Sith warrior. They're about to dissect and kill him and, and sort of cut him apart. And it's just, it's, it's, they're giving a sense of just how horrible this menace actually is. Uh, the purity of the hate within these Sith warriors, which, again... Uh, just emphasizes the fact, as Hogram Chuck points out, that if they're going to break the Sith, they have to attack Coruscant. And, of course, Rowan Fell is now willing to possibly use Omega Red in order to do that. Again, Omega Red the disease that is supposed to attack all species, not Omega Red the Wolverine villain. From the Soviet Union, I don't think Malady, it, Malady's Malady, if you get the disease, is going to give you the tentacles or anything like that. We see a nice scene where Cade is talking to Bantha about... Or not Bantha. Bantha's dead. She's talking about Bantha uh, to Jiraiya. And about how, you know, he's, he still sees that Crate is the shatter point. He's got to stop Crate. He's seen it within the Force. He's seen it within Visions. He has no idea what happens on the other side of it, right? Because he can't see himself in any Visions past that point. But no matter how many ships go in, he sees it as a suicide run. And yet, he's still willing to do it. Uh, and the others are essentially willing to be there at his side because that, that's just sort of where they belong, in essence. Uh, we jump to see the fleet up in orbit and finally see Rolf. Yeah, Rolf. Ranulf, I guess. But Rolf, I guess, is what they call him as a nickname. So I wasn't totally wrong there. We see Morgan Cord finally have a conversation with Rolf Yeag and Gunnar Yeag about her double life and whatnot. And he realizes that Gunnar actually knew who it was because she says, you know, Morgan, mom. He's like, mom, what? Uh? And finally, she does reveal before we were married, she says to Rolf or Ranulf, I was an Imperial agent and the wife of Jedi Master Cole Skywalker. Cade Skywalker is my son. Not a Calixta was a fabrication. My real name is Morgan Cord. I don't expect your forgiveness. And he says, since we have much to discuss, Agent Cord, later perhaps. For now, let's just say that I'm glad you are not dead. So we have a chance maybe of seeing them reconcile. We see Antares Draco finally getting some Imperial Knight armor and an actual Imperial Knight lightsaber here, but he's worried that he's possibly been programmed by the Sith. I mean, it's not that his fellow Imperial Knights are wary of him. He's wary of himself as well. Um, he doesn't quite know whether or not he himself can be trusted, which jumps us to the beginning of the assault on Coruscant. They need to take out the orbital defense system uh, by taking out its computer or deactivating its computer so that the fleet can come in and attack. So it's a small surgical group aboard the Minoc that's going to carry out that strike. We also find that as preparations are being made, as we jump back to the Jagged Fell, which is the ship that Rowanfell is on at this point, that Rowanfell wants Draco Antares at his side because it was his unwavering loyalty to the royal family that allowed him to be broken in the first place so he can be trusted at least as far as that goes. Uh, we see the strike team begin their mission. We see the ships emerge from hyperspace and they desperately need to get the computer down because the ships are nearing to Coruscant. Lots of battle moments and such until finally Cade is able to take out the computer with what looks like some deflected blaster bolts. 
or some blaster bolts of his own, but it looks like deflected blaster bolts. And then the skies are clear and the battle above Coruscant can begin, during which we see Rogue Squadron lose Andurgo, and it looks like Skull Squadron may be losing Crasher. Uh, Crasher's at least hit and is going to have to bail at this point. So we have the fates of at least some of our pilots we've seen before, and we see Gunner out there among the fight, along with Ange and other members of Rogue Squadron. While we see Cade and Wolf and Shadow being the primary ones who are uh, now still together inside, and Cade is basically saying, look, I've got to do this and so forth. That's how the vision went. It's just him. Besides, you're always the one talking about Destiny Master. Time I owed up to mine. And Wolf does say, I'm very proud of you, my former apprentice. The Force will be with you. So Wolf is starting to trust Cade more. And Morrigan has slipped off in the middle of the fight that was happening. And she makes her way to Morlish Veed's quarters, where she shoots him in the back. He's on the ground. And she finally, you know, he's he's shocked because he thought he killed her, right? Whenever she was Nina Calixta. And she wound up falling from the balcony with the pack in her hand, back that we talked about in our last episode, and she's now here as Morrigan Cord, not as Nina. He uh, says, you, me, Nina Callista sends her regards, and shoots him dead right there in the room. Man, real quick, that moment, what's cool about that and sadistic at the same time, is when she shoots him in the back, it's with a stun bolt. She stuns him, now he's on the ground, completely stunned and helpless, and then she shoots him with a red blaster bolt, like, oh my god, that is so cold. And, th- and there is some argument that could be made that, wait a second, she stunned him. Why is he even conscious whenever he looks up and says, you? But as we've seen, at least with the way that Cannon is dealing with stun bolts used on Leia aboard the Tantive 4, or Tantivi 4, um, stun bolts don't last necessarily for very long, depending on its inten- intensity. Leia is already basically getting up groggily to be walked to Vader by the time, basically, they switch, you know, uh, scenes in A New Hope. So it does have some precedent within the films themselves. We see the battle continuing up in space. The Fist of the Empire ship is destroyed. And finally, Rowan fell. He's like, you know, Draco, come with me. And they go to see Malady. And Malady hands off the Omega Red disease to Rowan fell. And again, she says it'll wipe out all life on an entire world within a matter of breaths. And... Roenfeld just takes this at face value and walks away with the weapon, with Antares kind of looking at him kind of dubiously. Except Malady, as he walks away, says, Promise kept. It is done, my lord crate. And fries the computer system, it looks like, that would have any memory of this disease that she has just created. Oh, see, I just thought she was shorting it out to escape because we see her, es- she's escaped after this. So I assume that was all she was doing was just dropping the bars. That's true. See, I, yeah, I thought she was, fr- maybe, I mean, it could be both. I think it could be interpreted if we didn't see her escaping. It could have been even also been interpreted as her frying it with electricity to cause it to overload and kill herself. So she can't still be a prisoner. But yeah, so either way, uh, she will wind up uh, coming back into play later. Then we've got the Minoc is under fire and being blasted to the point where it's, you know, Darn near about to crash. The engines are crispa, as Delia says, so Morgan can't board it and get away. Damn, now I need a ship. Yeah, as the ship is crashing down, we finally lead into what will be the final confrontation of this issue as Cade confronts Darth Talon and Darth Strife. Got this great line of, you know, your feelings betray you. They burn hot with your intent. You want to kill Lord Crate, our master. And he ignites his lightsaber and has this, this really... You know, kind of got a predatory look on his face. Oh, yeah. And 
you wind up with a fight. Razi Tomb is there. Shade of Owl is there as they are fighting. The Imperial Knights are there fighting as well while Cade is going up against Talon. He winds up knocking out Talon by basically force pushing her while her head is either near or already on the ground. So it's like a force push that smashes between the push and the ground, which can't be good for her. We see Wolf Sazen and Darth Strife battling again. Only in this case, in order to do the move that's necessary to kill Strife, Wolf pulls a move that also means that they will exchange blows. So both Strife and Wolf Sazen die in the same instant. Though Strife's body just lays there and Wolf disappears into the Force to become a Force Ghost, which again was a thing in Legends that is not something nowadays that we see happening more commonplace within canon. Yeah, this was before they established that it was only Qui-Gon Yoda and Kenobi that learned it because we also had characters in the New Jedi Order that died and then disappeared upon death because at the time they didn't know that concept was coming. Yeah, it had been in the films, but they never really given much of an explanation and it was so widespread in Legends that they just let that concept keep going basically. Until finally as we end the issue, Talon says, Cade is stronger than he was. Must warn Lord Crate. Lots of ellipses in between, so she's talking kind of Shatner-esque. Uh, Shado says, Cade, you can do nothing more here. Find Crate. We will hold the Sith here. And Cade finally says, yes, time to end it, as he charges off to go find Crate and says, the next issue, the Force or Flames. And the letters page also has a next issue part that says, Cade Skywalker goes into the fire, which means that it's all coming down to issue number six, as issue five of Legacy War comes to an end. Yeah, and again, there's so much really cool dialogue. I mean, even the beginning when they're dissecting the trooper, who has a very Borg from Star Trek feel and yet a techno equivalent to the Yuzen Vong. Uh, you know, the, the guy doing it, subject known as Sith Trooper, is sentient and appears fully integrated into its armor. It is evident that the grafting process begins early, possibly from infancy. Portals to the termination of the graft suggest that they can hardwire themselves into their fighters. Very similar to the Vong. And then he says, postmortem dissection of this subject should reveal more. Imminent death is soon. And, like, I don't know. Like, to me, like, these guys, they were the, the one thing that really wasn't explained very well to me. Like, I I kept hoping that there was going to be a Mandalorian connection. Because it's like, why would Crate have this army of super strong Sith as a backup for a plan that should work? You know, like, 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 I mean, I get the idea of being like double planned, but your original plan should have been foolproof. You shouldn't need to have this plan. And if this plan is so good, why not just go with it from the start? Like, so that was always weird for me. Like it never really fit well. We get that moment between Chalk and Fell where he really, you know, Fell basically commits to being a bad guy, which I hated it. And I hated even more that Chalk is the one that's pushing that. And as we see later on, Chuck just gets away with it all. And I feel like he needed to go down for this. Like, because we had a moment beforehand where Fell is like, I'm not going to do it. And he has slowly twisted that knife and made him come around. Uh, you mentioned the talk between Jariah and Cade. Again, getting back to Jan's awesome artwork. You know, he's got the tears coming down and he's talking about how, you know, I felt Bantha die, Jariah. He died saving me. My fault he's gone. You've been lying the blame for everything that goes bad in this galaxy on yourself since me and Rav found you floating over Osis. Hate to tell you, brother, but it ain't about you. Those that fought on Tavis didn't fight because you made them do it. They made their own choice. We all do. And, it, you know, Crates, he's, he's just stuck on that shatter point, you know. Crates, the shatter point's in. Stupa Kachu Force showed me that in the Force Vision. I faced him alone, and then, I don't know. First, I gotta get to him. Problem is, no matter how many ships run interference, it looks to be a suicide run. And, of course, Jariah grabs onto his shoulder. Suicide or annihilation by Sith, same choice, Batista. Tell you what, 
You work on some sweet Sith killing moves, and me and Blue will make sure the Minox purr like a baby next to you. We'll get you there. And I, I just, I love the fact that when we're at this point, like, I think it was even last issue where, where he had told Kate, you know, heck, we didn't even know you were a Skywalker until, you know, like a year ago. Like, the fact that he's so close to Cade, and yet there were so many things about Cade that he didn't know. Like, seeing that kind of build up and play out and stuff. And then when we get that moment between Morgan Cord and the husband, you know, or, or well, yeah, the, the second husband, Renolf. She's like, I don't expect your forgiveness. He's like, it seems like we have much to discuss, Agent Cord. Later, perhaps. But for now, let's just say I'm glad that you're not dead. <laughs> like... Oh, and we get another great moment of dialogue where Draco is sitting there belittling himself about wearing the armor, you know, because Ganner's like, now you look like the interior's Draco I know. Must feel good to be back in your armor. Feels like a lie, Ganner. I have broken a trust and betrayed my honor. No one says it, but I can sense the doubt in every night. I broke and the Sith used me as a weapon. His Imperial Majesty forgave you. Remember that what he said, anyone can be broken. Having been broken, can one ever be whole again? You've always strived to be an icon of perfection, the blade of the Imperial Knights. Yes, the Sith broke you, but you can choose to forge yourself anew. Find strength in the Force, Antares. And Antares starts to get a little more mad. What else might the Sith have done to me? What if they programmed me in ways that I do not know? Don't tell me the thought hasn't occurred to you, Ganner. You know what the Sith can do. Masters Chalk and Snide would have sensed that at your debriefings. Allowing fear to rule is letting the dark side in. Remember, we are Imperial Knights. There are none better. And he gives him back the Imperial Knight's weapon, which is a great moment in and of itself. But I mean, there's just so many of these dialogue moments throughout this that it's just it's just compacted. There's just so much. It's I love it. And, you know, you had mentioned at the beginning, like I keep giving credit to this story all to John. And you're right. Jan also worked on the story. Yeah, John did the script. But story is by John and Jan, which makes me wonder, you know, how much these two work together. Like they had to have been in the room doing this stuff because. I don't know. It just everything plays off of itself. You know, you see that the background art and stuff, everything is just working so well, coming together. You've got all this great dialogue mixed in like these two. I would love to see them come back for some canon stuff, but I don't know if we'll ever get that. Yeah, it seems like Marvel is kind of sticking with their in-house people at this point, unfortunately. So we're not going to wind up possibly seeing them come back. But again, I would point you if you're interested in those two as a team, Hexer Dusk is coming. Uh, Hexer being the title, Dusk being the guy's name. So it's kind of like saying Jedi Skywalker. Hey, real quick, with Veed, when he says you, do you think at that moment that he recognizes her as Nina or as Cord? I figure he knows that they're the same person, so it, it doesn't matter. Like he reckon, He's like, oh, it's you. I don't think there's any profound, he's recognizing one or the other so much as he knows that she's... Got the double life, double, uh, double identity. Uh, see, I went the other way. I, I figured he only recognized her as Cord, and that was why she did the whole sense of regards. But either way, man, that was such a cold-blooded mom movement. I was like, dude, yes, thank you. Man, you just got smoked by Tyler Durden, man. <laughs> Basically, kind of. So yeah, I think that this issue, it, a lot of it is set up for what comes next, so I don't feel like I have a lot to say about it beyond just highlighting the, the, the pieces of dialogue as I was going through the summary but I like we got that moment where basically Rowan fell. I mean, he's, it's been interesting because throughout the series, he's never quite been a good guy. He's been on the side of the good guys, but he's always been someone who has these morally questionable things that he does and is a little more self-focused than you would perhaps expect at a benevolent leader. And to see that this is where it was all leading to him making this type of decision, because he's always been kind of a practical guy that he's like, well, you know, the best decision is to have this weapon ready 
that's kind of a big thing, and it allows Malady to have a role in this final arc, because in essence, she's setting another trap, as we'll find in the next issue. I think it's interesting that in essence, it's Darth Talon that gives voice to a lot of the Jedi's worries about Cade, where she says, you know, Skywalker, I sense the darkness in you. You never walked in the light. Don't deny your true destiny. Join us. And that's kind of the worry of the Jedi Council, remember? The idea of, well, why did you sense Crate? I, I am kind of surprised that they went the route of having both of Cade's mentors cut down within the span of a couple of issues, because, of course, Wolf Sazen is also gone at this point. I'm not quite sure what it is that causes Cade to realize that he's about to use the move that would get them both killed, but okay. I think it's kind of one of those things where I guess the jet that, that uh, Strife and Sazen were kind of psyching each other out, and Cade knew that it could end with them both dying. Um, but it reminds me now of the episode we got recently where Obi-Wan and Maul have their final confrontation on Tatooine uh, in Rebels. Sort of that it's about sort of psyching each other out more so than all these complex movements and such. But this is really all just to get us ready, of course, for issue six, which is where we can turn now, unless you have anything else you want to add for five. The only thing I have to add for five is I love the fact that the Jedi reused Twin Sun Squadron, which was a squadron that Luke created during the New Jedi Order. I thought that was a really cool moment in and of itself. And I think, you know, with Wolf, that scene, I think for me, the thing that really sets it off that why Cade recognizes that is like there's a look of peace on Wolf, like it seems kind of more out of place. Like you get that feeling like, Oh, this is that Kenobi moment, you know? And the only other thing is you'd mentioned the, the look, the sinister look on Cade's face during the panel where he's like, Oh yeah. What I like is the way that Jan worked the panels. Like it's like the bridge part of his nose is cut out. So the two panels working together, give him this Joker look. Like he looks very sinister at that moment. Yep, and unfortunately, again, I hear it in my head, so I read it the first time, and I'm like, oh yeah, right there with him, and then I go back and I'm rereading it for the summary here, and I can't help but think that he's about to tell me to snap into a Slim Jim, so, whatever. Before we get to issue six, we also want to mention our sponsors once again. That's right, Voyage Across the Star Wars Galaxy with Tops in an all-new trading card collection, Tops Journey to Star Wars The Last Jedi. That's right, the 110 base storyline cards take you on a journey across the Star Wars saga with a sneak peek at Star Wars The Last Jedi. Collect stickers, character cards, illustrated cards, and more. The Last Jedi product includes autographs from over 50 actors and characters. Pick up your trading card by visiting Tops.com today. In fact, the journey to Star Wars The Last Jedi line has been available for purchase from Tops.com since September 1st. Uh, we've got all the 1977 Blue Starfield iconic designs on some of these. Uh, in fact, some of them have on the back an additional background image that you can put them all together. There are autographs, like I said, from over 50 actors with a special focus on Star Wars The Force Awakens. Uh, they also have the rare dual and amp, the triple autographs, plus the ultra rare six Puro autograph features from actors from The Force Awakens. Uh, you've got sketch cards, hand-drawn rendering of the Star Wars characters from across the saga, and plastic emblem cards featuring heroes and villains from Star Wars The Last Jedi. Now, really quick, I have one of those packs right here. Let's see what we get. Open that up as we are doing this live and get a view of what we've got. So we have got, oh, Rebels, number 15, Facing a Dark Destiny. Uh, that's got a picture of Darth Maul and Ezra Bridger. We've got number 29, Celebrating the Victory. It is Leia and Luke and Han and Chewie and the droids in the throne room of Gavin. We've got number 42, Resistance on Dakar, with Poe Dameron's new X-Wing. Uh, man, these are pretty cool. Uh, we've got Obi-Wan Kenobi confronting General Grievous. Hello there. We have got Luke Skywalker in search of his Jedi Master on Dagobah, where he pulls out the gun and pulls it on Yoda. 
We've got Maz's band playing on. We have got Recruiting General Kenobi, where we see the R2 displayed hologram of Leia right there in Kenobi's room. And, of course, ooh, we've got one of the... It is Journey to Star Wars The Last Jedi Ski Speeder. Collect them all. Four of number seven. And that's the new one that we see racing across the uh, desert field of that new planet. Now, of these, I have got none that have that battle or the uh, image on the back, which I was talking about. These all have the little story on the back, like the rebel heroes Kanan Jarrus, Ahsoka Tano, and Ezra Bridger traveled to Malachor, an apparently dead world that was home to the ancient Sith Temple. Before long, Ezra, separated from his friends, met and conferred with a mysterious shadow personage in the temple who identified himself as the Old Master. Encouraged to give in to dangerous emotions, Ezra eventually learned that his new advisor was actually Sith practitioner Darth Maul, whose goal in the temple was nothing less than ultimate power. So these are pretty cool. Uh, go out and get yours now. The saga will continue with the Tops trading cards with their app as well. They've got a card trader app you can check out also. And that brings us to the last issue of our Legacy coverage, Legacy War Part 6. And we have, at this point, uh, the Annihilators are still attacking. They're still hammering away at the enemy, but Kate Skywalker is on his way to confront Darth Krayt. Darth Talon crawls into the room just before him, trying to warn Krayt, you know, Master Skywalker, no, and gets force-pushed into a column and taken directly out of the fight. We then have Kate ignite his lightsaber, and he is ready to finally go up against Krayt again, uh, after all that he has learned and all that he has experienced since the last time they were face-to-face. As Krayt Skywalker... And they engage, and it's a combination of somewhat of a lightsaber duel, but in many ways, a lot of the fight is going to come down to force abilities, force lightning, and things like that, which uh, is what you would expect from Jedi Masters fighting, and Cade has sort of upped his game so he's able to handle Crate uh, and go up against him at that level. We then jump to outside. We see that Jurambe is calling for perhaps a retreat, but Gar Stasi says, no, it's all or nothing. They keep fighting on uh, as they go, but nobody can seem to get a hold of Rowan Fell, aboard the Jagged Fell, and that's because he is about to release the Omega Red Toxin. Says the Sith are too strong, the battle is lost. We must use a Sith to kill a Sith. Darth Malady's Toxin will wipe out Darth Krayt and the Sith Empire. As we will find out within this issue, though, that's actually not quite what was expected to happen. Um, But regardless, it's going to mean basically a genocide of killing people on Coruscant. And you have Antares Draco standing against his own emperor saying, no, this is wrong. Uh, It'll kill innocents. Rowan Fell says there are no innocents on Coruscant. They're just collaborators. Trace Sind and Maricia Fell arrive to try to also convince him out of it. And he simply force pushes both of them into the wall, essentially knocking them out. And Antares Draco stands against his emperor, igniting his lightsaber because Rowan Fell has already ignited his and says, you know, I'm your emperor, Master Draco, your liege lord. You swore an oath of obedience to me. And we finally get to see probably why they set up the whole issue of who the knights are supposed to be loyal to and who they take their oath to way back early in the series, where it says, I am a knight of the empire. I swore an oath to serve the force as embodied by the emperor. And if the emperor himself strays to bring him back to the light or kill him if he will not. And essentially we get an unexpected lightsaber duel between Rowan Fell and Antares Draco over whether or not he'll be able to release Omega Red. Meanwhile, back down on the uh, Coruscant itself, on the surface, we see Krayt get the upper hand in the battle with 
Cade and starts using basically one of Cade's abilities against him. He studied essentially how the Shatterpoints and such work, and having experienced death, he now understands it well enough that special ability Cade seems to have to not only use the Shatterpoints to heal, but also to kill. And as he's basically zapping and using the Shatterpoints to harm and sort of torture Cade to death, he gives Cade a vision in which he sees a Sith version of himself that really kind of looks like Cade as a 1980s hair rock guy, perhaps. Um, he almost looks like he should be a member of KISS because of the way they've got the coloration around his eyes and such. Uh, he sees Coruscant in flames. says, I promised chaos, because of course it's a different font. I promised chaos and I brought it here. A Sith toxin created by Darth Malady and dispersed by the Emperor's own hands to kill me was a vector. But the toxin will not kill Sith. Right? By design, we are immune to it. So we get the truth that if the toxin is released, it's going to kill all but Sith, and it's going to essentially purge Coruscant and make it a Sith-only planet. Now let's let's pause and think about that for a second. How the hell does that work if this is going to kill all, all species? Like, Then it would, it would stand that it would also not kill Jedi because it's not going to kill Force users, right? But remember... This was something that was planned ahead of time because she says that the plan has been put in motion. This was something that she was doing for Crate. It was planned in advance. So my assumption would be that it's as simple as all the Sith have been given some type of antibody that'll keep keep them from getting sick. Okay, okay. Because it has to be able to kill multiple species, and you can't have it just be, well, it won't affect the Sith... Because the Sith are all different species. It must be something that the Sith have actively done to make themselves immune. At least that's that's my sense of the logic of it. Oh, the antidote's in their tattoos! Oh, <laughs> it, it could be. It could be the ink of the tattoos, I guess, maybe. Um, and finally what we see is, he says, you know, nothing of flesh and blood lasts, says Crate, but power is eternal. I will teach you the ways of darkness until I become dust, until I become you. Because the idea of essence transfer, spirit transfer between bodies is something he has learned from Karnas Muir and the whole issue of the Muir Talisman. Tell me, my apprentice, can you defeat death as I did? Can you heal yourself? Apprentice, do you see? Do you understand what you are meant to be? And he finally sort of lets up and gives Kate a choice. Kate says, my eyes are open. I've seen the vision. I understand now. No more doubts or questions. I know my place in the galaxy. I know who I am, and he calls his lightsaber to him in the force, leaps into the air, I am a Jedi, and stabs Crate right through the chest. Again, a battle that's much more psychological than it is physical. Stabs through the chest, I am a Jedi, and you are not my master. So when he refers to the vision telling him the truth, it's his visions from the light side, not the one that Crate just showed him. But of course, you would think that'd be the end, but now we set all kinds of other crap into motion. So just killing Kate can't be the end. We jump back to the lightsaber duel between Antares Draco and Rowan Fell until finally Draco is forced to kill his own emperor to stop him from releasing Omega Red. And when word finally gets out that Crate is dead, we see the Sith take the odd tack of basically Darth Nil ordering all of the Sith troopers, those Sith warriors, the ones that were just created by Crate recently, killed, and then all the Sith are to withdraw from Coruscant and assemble at predetermined coordinates. In other words, there is a contingency plan, very much like the Emperor in canon had a contingency plan, and this is what will eventually seed out the Sith into the galaxy, sort of in hiding, infiltrating governments and whatnot out there, as we see in Legacy Volume 2. Morrigan Cord arrives at the site of where Kate has just killed Crate. 
Um, they have a brief moment together, but Cade notes that basically it's not over. He says, I can still hear his voice telling me that death can't stop him, that his body will heal and life will return. He's infecting me. He's eating my mind. Only one way to be sure Crate can't come back. Plunge his body into the sun. Mine too. Because I need your ship. Cade. And he takes Morgan Cord's ship. I'm saying that there's no other way. He takes the hologram. She gives him the hologram, basically, of, of the family picture. And she he's going off, basically, to kill himself so that Crate's spirit can't take him over because he can still hear Crate's voice and to get rid of Crate's body so Crate can't heal himself. Essentially, destroy the two avenues by which he thinks Crate could return. Thankfully, Morrigan is able to get word to Jiraiya and Deliah, who are able to fix the Minoc just soon enough to take off after him. As Cade nears Coruscant's son, ready to throw himself into it, he hears the voice of Crate telling him, you won't do this, Apprentice. If you had truly wanted to be dead, you would have cut off my head. You know, so, I guess, Highlander style. But Cade is, just makes the counter-argument that, look, you know, you're not going to take my body if I go in there with you. And it's Luke Skywalker's spirit who shows up and says, what if Crate is only a voice in your head? He's like, well, what if you are? Right? <laughs> and, and the idea that basically telling him, you know, could be. But if that's true, what part of you do I, that is Luke, represent? What part of you is Crate? Which is stronger? Will you give in to your fear or choose hope? Which is a great echo, of course, to what we now saw in Rogue One and such. He says, in my vision after my battle with Crate, there was only darkness, death. And Luke points out, and yet, here you are, alive, Cade. You're a Jedi. Time to choose your own path. And in an eerie echo of what happened after the Battle of Osis, he goes EVA in a spacesuit and allows the ship carrying Crate's body to burn in the sun while he just sort of hangs there in space, no longer hears Crate's voice anymore or feels his presence, and has kind of sort of given himself over to the idea that he is going to die. We then jump back and think that we're just leaving him out there hanging in space for a moment and jump back to Coruscant where we find that with Rowanfell dead, what has happened in the, this big war against Darth Krayt has actually brought factions together. And we now have the beginning of a brand new government, a Galactic Federation Triumvirate, which will be headed by Garstazi at this point, Kakrook, representing the Jedi, and Maricia Fell. Fell's Empire, the Galactic Alliance, and the Jedi coming together to form one unified government for the galaxy once again. And we have a quick conversation between Morrigan and Shado in which Shado asks about Cade. And she doesn't know. Uh, she doesn't think he's coming back. But thankfully, the Minoc is able to find him, save him. It looks like he's not breathing initially, so they don't quite know what's going to happen. Again, they're building and stretching out the tension here. And they jump another scene. <laughs> and we see the Sith coming back together where we learn the plan that sets up Legacy Volume 2. Hide the fleet. The Sith now walk a different path. We will disperse into the galaxy in small numbers, masking ourselves, hiding amidst the enemy. We will infiltrate governments on every planet. All must be brought down for something new to be created. Together or alone, we will slip into worlds and strike from the shadows. We will be invisible. We will be patient. All that exists will be torn apart from within. Darth Krayt's vision of the galaxy remade will be realized. He lives in us. The Sith will prevail. So, we have the sense that the Sith are still out there. And that is very much the setup, of course, for Legacy Volume 2. And finally on the Minoc, as Delias says, Love you, Cade. Always and forever. And I guess the music from the 90s or whatever starts playing in my head again. <laughs> he says, Sounds good to me! And it turns out, Oh! He's alive! And he may have even been playing possum a little bit there. And finally they're together. It's the Delias senses that he's different. He says, you know, he's peaceful. Crate's gone. He's free. And sort of a question, Okay, 
So what do you do now? Where are they going? And we get the final monologue of the series that wraps it all up. It says, Forward, Sin. Only way we can go. My father always said, We take what is given. Feels like all the... Ga- ah. I'm having trouble because as soon as it said that we take what is given, I got that emotional hitch and I <laughs> and my throat caught up. That That is such a defining phrase yeah. for the character in this series and such an emotional uh, shatter point, you might say, for me. Yeah. It says, Felt like all the galaxy ever handed me was darkness and grief. Like crate, I took what was given and gave in to my anger, wrapped the anger around me so close it blocked out the light, suffocated myself in death and darkness until I forgot how to live, tried to cut myself off from the force so I didn't have to feel anything, tried to make my heart a void. But nothing's a void, not even in space. I've seen the way all things connect. Energy flows through everything in the galaxy, creating life, healing it. As long as a galaxy exists, life will find a way. There is no death. There is only the Force. And for the last time in Legacy, the final word of the series down in the bottom right corner is simply end, as Legacy War concludes. Man, and that panel, that whole panel that you just read, I think when I see that, what I'm seeing is the ruins of the Hidden Temple. And Trasa coming back, right? Yes, yes. Or three children of her from from where her roots went in. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely the vibe I got. And I thought that was really cool. You know, there's just, again, get back to that dialogue, man. There was just such great buildup between Cade and all them, the energy and stuff. Uh, the fact that he can't escape his fate. My eyes are open. I've seen the visions. I understand now. No more doubts or questions. I know my place. Like, when that happens, though, there's a part of me that's like, really? Like, because he's got his back to crate. And he sticks out his left hand, and the lightsaber comes to the left hand, and then he left hand spinning, stabs him in the chest, but Crate's got a lightsaber in his left hand, too. All he had to do is reach up with that and stab stab him. I just, that never really made sense. Well, see, I, th- I think it's that Sith overconfidence that in that movement, in that moment, Kate is doing something unexpected, and it's almost like we're not perceiving it at the same speed, because it reminds me very much of Obi-Wan. Uh, in The Phantom Menace, right? Darth Maul has knocked him into the shaft. He goes over Darth Maul's head, and upon landing, I mean, Maul is right there with his saber too, and yet he's able to be cut in half by Obi-Wan, because Obi-Wan has just done what's not expected. I think it's a, it's a nice echo, going back to that sort of thing. And again, this idea that it's very psychological. This is very much sort of Obi-Wan versus Darth Maul in that last moment on uh, Tatooine in Rebels, less than it is Maul versus Obi-Wan in Phantom Menace. This is... It's about control and mind and will. It's not necessarily just a knockdown, drag out physical fight, which I can appreciate because it gives, it, it builds on the depth we've already got from these characters. If it was just a fight without the psychological element, I think I probably would have been disappointed. See, and, and one of the things where I'm conflicted as to whether or not I like it is Draco killing Fell. Like, one hand, I kind of wish it was his own daughter. Like, but I understand the point of where they were going. But I mean, it would have worked with his daughter because she also was an Imperial Knight. And I think that it would have added more impact to have to take your own dad down because he's going that direction. But I think the thing that really gets me about this is like when I first read this, I I kept putting off the fact that this is a Jaina Solo descendant. You know, now that you think about the fact that this guy is actually Jaina's grandson. And he dies because he basically fell to the dark side. Like, oh, man, once again, that legacy comes home full force. It's like, oh, OK, you got me. I, I get you. And I mean, and of course, we have this connection here um, of why he had to be taken down. And remember, Omega Red, I mean, it's a, yet another thing that ties this into the rest of the saga, because Omega Red, the idea of a genetically aimed uh, disease was actually based on Alpha Red, as she said when she said she updated it. And, of course, Alpha Red showed up for the first time in 
the New Jedi Order in Destiny's Way. So this idea, so much of this feels like it's the culmination of decades of continuity. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know that you could make this series early in the run of Dark Horse uh, with a Star Wars license and have it be as impactful. But it's like all the pieces fell into place and then these two got the ability to basically take all the great toys that have been developed and create a real fantastic in-cap story. Again, it's why I kind of wish Legacy Volume 2 hadn't existed. So that this could be the climactic end point. But it does still leave the question of the Sith being out there and Legacy Volume 2, even though it does it very quickly of everybody's going to attack the same place at once. Wee! Oh, look, we win. The galaxy is saved. And kind of that pat ending that it has at least does give us an end point for the loose threads left from the Sith in this. Uh, but I don't know. I just I, I wish that there had been a better way for it to play out after this point than what Legacy Volume 2 was allowed to be. Well, and that's the, the Sith loose threads that make me scratch my head. I mean, because Neil, like I said, you know, he was in on the plan. All ships, Lord Crate is dead. Withdraw from Coruscant and assemble at the predetermined coordinates. Now, the next line is what really throws me off. Destroy all Sith troopers. Like, again, getting back to the Sith troopers are phase two of your plan. And now, because phase two is failing, we're going to go back to phase one and eliminate phase two. Like, that doesn't make sense to me. Oh, see, see, I, for me, it makes perfect sense. If Crate is dead and they are fiercely loyal just to Crate, they're now an uncontrollable force. So I would say that's why you've got to take out the Sith Troopers. The Sith Troopers will never stop fighting and allow the Sith to go into hiding. They would always constantly try to, you know, be at the forefront, and you would never be able to see the Sith able to fade away into secrecy and work from inside. So the Sith Troopers have to be destroyed. They're abominations in that sense. I'd leave them out to just cause havoc. I would, I would take my, I would take phase A and, and remove phase A from the field and let phase B be what the triumvirate takes out. You know, leave that to be your face. Or, or as Crate put it with Darth, uh, Cadus, you know, Cadus was a lightning rod for the Sith. The Jedi didn't know what was going on with the one Sith because they were too focused on what was going on with Jason Solo. So, I mean, that would, that would have been what I would have done. So that, that one threw me off. But one of the greatest lines was when he's out there, Cade's out there floating and he's like, you there, Crate? You're not, are you? Can't hear you. Can't feel you. Just me and the stars. Like it was over Ossus the night you died, Dad. The night I should have died. Circle's complete. Everything's right. I'm all right. Maybe this was the vision meant. Just me at the end, walking in the sky. And I like walking in the sky. Like, what a great Skywalker reference there, man. Like, oh, that's, that's just brilliant. And then you'd also mentioned Shadow talking to Morgan. And he goes, you know, what about Cade? And she says, I, again, getting back to Jan's awesome work, like, you could see just in the side profile of Morgan how her chin's, like, all but quivering as she says, I, and it does the dot, 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 and then it goes, don't think so. There's a couple things that stand out to me about that scene. One, again, is because something else jumps into my head that we've seen that takes some of the fun out of the moment. And that's because I see Cade floating in space, and we're supposed to remember Cade floating in space over Osis. And of course, I do remember that, and it's a poignant moment. But there's another part of me that thinks that he should be out there with little creatures flying around him and start randomly singing (laughs) like the freaking droid in Rebels. Thankfully, he's not singing. But I find it interesting here that Luke is talking about him choosing his own path. And he's perfectly willing to kill himself if it means stopping Crate. And it seems like all throughout Legacy, that is something that Cade's been willing to do, to to let himself get killed over whatever. And he's using death sticks. Cade has had very little regard for his own life in a lot of ways. And here we see he has a choice, and the choice that he makes is to eject. 
is to let Crate's body be destroyed, but not to kill himself after all, as part of choosing the path of being a Jedi or being uh, the person that he wants to be. I think that's a profound moment of character change for him, but I'm not sure that I would have noticed it as such a profound moment the first time I read it. But the more we've talked about this, the more that it does seem that him choosing life over self-sacrifice, that doesn't make him a weaker character because he's not sacrificing himself. It means that he's finally chosen to live, which in a lot of ways he's chosen to survive previously, and now he's choosing to live, which is a different thing. You know, the other interesting thing, too, is when Nil's doing his little thing, talking about how we're all going to hide, we're going to hide the fleet, you know, like, so the fleet's hidden, too, okay? But when he talks about we'll disperse into the galaxy, we see Warlock the Fourth, uh, you know, who was sent off by Darth Warlock, who really shouldn't be part of Nil's plan unless that might have been part of the plan. We also see Darth Malady. She's, uh, again, working in a Vong-type area with potions. And we see Darth Talon slinking off from what appears to be the underlevels of Coruscant. So there are some key players of Kraet's Order still alive, which I thought was kind of interesting in and of itself, who we never see again. Very true. Again, a very strong ending, a very personal ending for Cade for, again, my favorite Star Wars comic series. If you've never read Star Wars Legacy, even if now you're seeped in story group canon and just looking for a strong Star Wars story outside of that, give this a try. This is something in Legends you probably will enjoy, even though it does mean possibly doing some homework and looking up certain things if you didn't read stuff like the New Jedi Order and such. It's it's definitely a great one. And uh, it's funny, my wife and I had decided long ago that if we ever had a boy, uh, it'd be Cade Franklin. We were going to name the kid Cade after this. Franklin after my mom's father, uh, who's the first grandfather of mine to pass away, first grandparent of mine to pass away. And she's been bouncing back and forth, but for a, if it, we ever have a girl, of Leia Lucille. Her grandmother's name is Lucille and Leia. And it was only at dinner, I guess, last night or the night before, that she started toying around ideas of maybe something different. Maybe uh, Sabine Lucille or something like that, right? So she's wavering, but never once have we wavered on Cade. Kids gotta be Cade. Because I feel such a connection and got such so much enjoyment out of this particular character. I'm really, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of glad that his story ended on a note of finality as opposed to seeing him again in Legacy Volume 2. But then there's a part of me that's like, ooh, but he's still out there. Why don't we see him? It's, it, it, it tears at you a little bit. I guess I'm, that's pretty much all I've got left to say about the series. Are we ready to hit covers or do you have any final thoughts you want to add first? No, I think we're good, man. All right, cover time. Um, we have six of them. Uh, six issues, six covers. The cover, I believe, of number one is the one that's used on the trade paperback. So, uh, they all see Star Wars Legacy War with the uh, era symbol, Lucas book symbol, Dark Horse symbol. The first one has Crate with his arms crossed, the green lightsaber in one hand, the red lightsaber that looks kind of magenta here in the other hand, uh, and it says, Darth Crate Reborn. Wait, hold on, hold on. You you missed the really cool thing in the background, though. Did you notice that it's Darth Crate? His old self in the background. The other thing that I really like about this is this reminds me of, and I think it's the Tudors. Uh, the I think it's on Netflix where it's got oh god I can't think of the oh, kid's oh name. Oh yeah, it, it looks like a Riss, Riss Davies or whatever yes, his name is. Yes, yeah, that yeah huh. that was that immediately always comes to mind when I see this issue. I'm just like oh yeah, it's, it's the Tudor cover. It's it's the guy from the Tudors. Not my favorite cover just because it's it's very overused in the promotion and. I'm not sure about the design of his look there to his face. I, I, but you're right. It does remind me very much of uh, 
uh, Henry, I guess it is, from the Tudors. Yeah. Then we have a shot in number two, says, The enemies of Darth Crate begin to fall. And of course, they're taking it literally, because it's Nina Calixta falling on Coruscant while blasting away and being blasted at. Though, interestingly enough, in this shot, aside from the fact she's got a uh, a look on her face that's kind of, um, <laughs> she isn't carrying the bag in this shot. Yeah. So, in this case, she would simply die, as opposed to in the, the actual way it plays out with her having the pack that has the jetpack in it. Um, she's okay. Then we have a, a shot that's basically, it looks like, I guess, it's supposed to be Cade in Carbonite, which doesn't ever actually, you know, happen in the story. Uh, but Cade in Carbonite, and it's Darth Talon leaning back against the Carbonite block with her hand on Cade's cheek. Says, uh, it's a dark galaxy, and it's getting darker. It's sort of this idea of, well, that's not something we see, so that's kind of a, a misleading thing. But that shot reminds me again of how much I figured that eventually Darth Talon would die by being cut across her midsection because she's the the Sith that's not wearing any armor. It's like, you want to go for Sith tramp? Fine, but you're going to get gutted across your belly. <laughs> Follow the lines of Sith tattoos and slice her up. <laughs> then we have number four, which was Trasa. And Nat Skywalker there fighting. It says the Jedi hidden, or the Jedi's, plural, the Jedi's hidden temple is discovered. Or not plural, uh, possessive. There we go. Had an interesting conversation on uh, Twitter as to why the Larses, like the Larses, uh, like Baru and Owen is uh, L-A-R-S-E-S, not L-A-R-S apostrophe. That's because, well, you don't use apostrophes to make things plural. And then we've got number five, which shows Wolf Sazen going up against Darth Strife and says, taking the battle to the enemy. And then finally, an interesting one for number six that shows the Minot going down in flames in the background. And in the foreground, Cade leaping through the air, both hands on, well, I guess one hand on his lightsaber, the other one kind of coming up as if it's about to grab the lightsaber hilt. And it says, the war will end in flames. Which unfortunately for me, again, as soon as I see that and read that uh, in my head, I hear, born in fire, formed in flames. Because I think that was an old Hot Wheels commercial, I think. For me, I think they're all fairly solid covers. I think that the uh, faces of Crate and Nina on the first two kind of get me. Four and five are good. Nothing amazing compared to any other specific ones. We have, I think, stronger covers that Jan's done for the series earlier. So for me, the favorites are either three, but I'm put off by the fact that it's not something that actually happens in the story, or number six, because once you've read it, you know both of those instances are actually in the comic, and it's a great juxtaposition there on the cover to give us something. Yeah, it's not a literal scene, but it's using things from the actual issue, and you can imagine this is Cade right about to plunge the lightsaber into Crate's chest. So, uh, six for me probably is the standout. Three being a close second. For me, it's 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 definitely a different run. For me, I actually I really like number one. Um, I I like the presentation of Crate. I like the fact that you can you can tell it's Asherard Head. Uh, when we get to number two, I think that's definitely my funniest one because when they were drawing Nina, they were like, we need her to look like a Chuda. She's got to look like a total Chuda. Like, so they looked it up and they're like, I mean, she's got the painted lady face. Like, she looks like a Twilight prostitute. I mean, like, who the hell was doing her makeup? <laughs> like, it's so bad that when I open up the cover to see the actual panel, I'm like, why didn't they just use that? It works so much better. Like, I, I just... I don't know. That looks like a Halloween mask, man. It's just so bad. <laughs> uh, and with three, it's funny because you and I both had the same thing where we misidentified what was going on. I thought it was Talon with Emperor Fell in the background. But if you actually look at the armor, that's actually Draco. It, it is from the comic. This, Yeah, 
Okay, that is see because I was looking at the armor and I thought that was meant to be the armor that Cade wears. So that's Draco, not Cade. So yeah, that does make sense. It is from the issue because that's how she turns him over is in the block of carbonite. Okay, you win. I take it back. So yeah, three and six. So yeah, for me it's one and three are my high ones. Uh, with four, yeah, for me with four, I think the issue I have with this one is Bantha. Like they just really darkened up his eyebrows, really big and. Like, yeah, he was a bigger guy, but I really feel like he's way more barrel-chested in this than he was ever portrayed in the comic. But besides that, I really I like the fact that Saz, she's actually deflecting blaster bolts and sending them different directions with force energy. That's kind of cool. Issue 5 is just okay. Like, like I like the look of everything, and, and it's got that, like you said before, that, that photo portrait kind of feel to it. But they just seem a little off for some reason, so it didn't quite really latch on to me. Uh, when it comes to 6... This one's hit or miss, because, like, I like the fact that we see the Minot going down in flames, and I like the fact that when that scene happens in the comic, like, I actually felt like the ship was blowing up. I was like, oh, my God, like, that really impacted me. I like the fact that the scene, it looks like he's punching with the right hand. He's going to fling the left saber around and come around with the, the punch. But I think the thing that, that really bothers me is, like, when you think of issue 50, right, they give you that two-cover spread. You know, that that was the end of Legacy. we got to do something real special. we go two-cover spread. With this one, nothing. On the back, it's still got the same old Republic with Darth uh, Malgus sitting here like every one of the other six had. There's nothing special about this final issue of Legacy Volume 1. Like, that really, really, I think, puts me off on that in general. Like, if they'd have maybe done a little bit more, maybe that one would be higher up for me. But so for me, it's one and three. Um, and I, I actually, I like one, I think, a little bit more because of the fact that they've got the whole Darth Krayt as he looked at the beginning of the series in the background in the flames. Like, I didn't catch that myself until about probably my third or fourth read through so with the covers just like the stories just like the story itself says we take what is given we don't always get the best of covers we don't always get the best of stories whether we're talking about marvel dark horse or anyone with a star wars license but i think in this case what we were given was something really really strong really good series and uh I feel like this is the series that really cemented John Ostrand and Jan Dersima as one of the strongest Star Wars comic teams that we ever saw uh, and have seen since. And uh, and I wish them well on Hex or Dusk. I can't wait to see it. And I hope that someday there'll be enough continuity built up that Marvel could do something of this caliber. Though I'm not holding my breath, at least not in the near future. Man, I'm I'm just hoping that we can get a second John, you know, I mean, John Jackson Miller started out doing the comics and stuff and he made the bridge over to doing the books. And I would love to see John Ostrander do the same. Like, I mean, if we can't get him doing comics, at least get him in to, to do something in the book realm. I mean, that's just, I don't know. To me, like that seems like a no brainer. <laughs> well, I would have thought that him having a story perhaps in, from a certain point of view would have been a no brainer. Right. Right. Somebody's not paying attention. Somebody needs to pay attention. <laughs> All right, so now that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. We'd like to thank you once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing our fandom. Remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division of Podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on Stitcher and on iTunes, which we always encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. You can also find links to our episodes on both our Twitter and Facebook pages at SWBeyondFilms, or just type in Stars Beyond the Films in the search bar. 
Hey, but no matter how you get there, be sure to like our Facebook page. It is literally the best way to interact with us. It is our own home one, if you will. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans. So if you have any Star Wars or EU or Legends questions, or you just want to comment about a past episode, fire off. You can always email us directly at swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com. Now, lastly, before we go, we want to once again thank our sponsors, Tops, for coming along and contributing to all this awesomeness. And, of course, our Audible trial. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash starsport, you get a free trial run of Audible to see what they're all about. Audible has more than 100,000 titles. You can explore the Star Wars Expanding Universe or any other genre without risk of being stuck with a book you flat out hate. Because Audible members, they can exchange any book within 12 months. That's one year with no questions asked. So in this digital age, if you're thinking of making that switch from the page to the audiobook... Audible just might be right for you. So, once again, for Stars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler. And Nathan. Saying thanks for listening and may the force be with you. And don't quote us the odds that anybody actually thought we'd finish this when we started covering Legacy four and a half years ago. <laughs> yeah. What are the odds that we literally finished this as my wife pulled into the driveway? Like, wow. I, I honestly thought I'd have her standing over my shoulder going, you're still doing this five hours later? <laughs> you too, huh? <laughs> Sacrifices must be made. <laughs> yes, we take what is given, and sometimes what we're given is the stink eye for recording too long. The massive amounts of grief. Amen. Amen. <laughs>